0: Attention crew, this is your Captain Caliban speaking. This is a supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals, where we bring you news and tidbits from the world of Trek, also interviews with special guests, and a few little surprises along the way. This week, we're getting right to the good stuff, as we have an interview with two very special guests. Today, we're talking to Bijo and John Trimble, two frankly historic names in the history of Trek. They're probably best known as the couple that started the letter-writing campaign that helped save Star Trek, the original series, from cancellation after its second season. But beyond that, they are lifelong fans and nerds, and they're still active in fandom to this day. And we've got a great, informative interview with them about their history with Trek their history with cons and fandom and some great stories from their time. Just loving this whole thing as much as we all do. We'll get right to it, and I will be back at the end of the show to wrap it up. And with that, let's get underway. I'm talking today with B. and John Trimble, legendary Star Trek fans and familiar to many Trekkies as the couple behind the letter-writing campaign that saved Star Trek from cancellation at the end of its second season. Thanks so much for talking with me today. Well, thank you. are more than welcome. Uh, on our show, we usually begin by asking our guests how they became Star Trek fans, whether they watched it as kids or if they discovered it later in life. But in your case, you were sci-fi fans and you were active in the convention scene before Star Trek was even on. I mean, Trek sort of discovered you.
1: We were. Uh, well, uh, in a way, yes. Uh, uh, our first uh, case of Star Trek was when Gene Roddenberry brought um, his, um, uh, three of his episodes to a uh, science fiction convention.
2: <laughs> the World Fiction Convention in 1966, Labor Day weekend, so the show hadn't aired yet.
1: So it started there with us and, and you know, a, a few hundred other people who were in the room, but, um, <clears throat> and, and it's, it's just gone on from there.
0: Did you get a sense of, like, how did the audience receive it, the people that got to watch it? Did people seem to like it?
1: Uh, For the most part. Well, you know, up till then, basically what we'd gotten were kind of replays. Uh, on t- on TV of movies like There's an ugly Alien That's Kill It, and um, you right. know, and and science is kind of to be doubted because you never know what these people are up to, and so on. And um, uh, any time we were given supposedly a really good show, it very quickly devolved into you know either a kiddie show or scripts that were so tired you you just wanted to scream. So. When, they, when he showed the three episodes, we all liked him, but it was one of these, uh, the, for the science fiction fans, we were, um, let's wait and see, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so we didn't exactly go absolutely wild um, as uh, as history has it now, but, you know, um, I mean, everybody... Yeah, it
2: was guarded enthusiasm.
1: Yeah, okay. that that was about it, and we kept waiting for it to become either a kiddie show like uh, like Lost in Space, or just you know the, the scripts kind of run downhill fairly fast as they did in like in Time Tunnel or you know or it's and, to
3: the
2: bottom of the rating.
1: And yeah, you know, and so when we discovered that no, Gene had actually come up with this great idea of in fact. <laughs> uh, hiring science fiction authors to do his stories for him. Mm-hmm. Well, that wasn't done in Hollywood first because Hollywood didn't trust authors and <laughs> <laughs> never, as you can tell. Um, and then secondly, because, um, the, um, uh, authors were known uh, to be, uh, you know, difficult to deal with and all of that. And, and um, Jean liked them and made friends with them. And, um, and use their stories. And it was right. amazing, amazing um, combination.
0: We've talked before on, on this show, on my show, about the influence of the early um, Star Trek, on um, sci-fi writers on early Star Trek. One of them in particular being Harlan Ellison. And I heard that you ran into Harlan Ellison um, many years ago at, at a convention. <laughs> in <had> 1953.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> he and I, he, he, 52. He and I are, uh, uh, are are three months apart in age. So he always teases me because I'm uh, I'm the oldest. <laughs> right, <laughs> he, he, he's not sure he wants to hang around with old women. So anyway, <laughs>
3: oh I, yeah, I understand. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, I, I give him I give him his back. You know, he, we, we've been we've been uh, friends and and somewhat guarded friends at times uh, for many many years now.
2: We can tell hmm. how Harlan feels about us if he greets us as John and or Mister and Mrs. Trimble. Mr. Mrs. Okay. Trimble, we know he's at
1: us for something. <laughs> he to start sentences. Why don't we all know and love Mr. and Mrs. Trimble? <laughs> 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 but, you know, an, an amazing author, an amazing person in general, um, just yeah, uh, you know, everything you've ever heard about him is probably true. Uh, but but there
2: it's frequently taken out of context however which makes him seem worse than he is
1: yeah and also people don't realize that there may have been a reason leading up to whatever it was he did and um, you know so it's I'm not excusing him I'm just uh, explaining him
0: (laughs) (laughs) sure and I mean he clearly had an influence on early Star Trek I mean writing um, The City on the Edge of Forever and also being um, instrumental in the show coming back after its first season for uh, writing to the um, SFWA Association, trying to get people to contact NBC, similar to the way that you guys did yourselves after the second season.
1: Well, yes, but but um, Harlan appealed mostly to the writers who were going to kiss jobs goodbye. You know what, the show went off the air, and you know, I mean, they had a vested interest, right? And um, and and we went out to fandom. and that was the big difference, frankly, and our 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 campaign spread like wildfire. Who knew? I mean, you know, people keep saying, well, you know, did you know all this was going to happen? No, of course we didn't. Mm. I mean, you know, even our wildest hopes, we hadn't figured it was going to go into the uh, size um,
0: and and uh, spread that it did. What was Gene like in those days? What were your impressions of him when you met him?
1: Oh, well, yeah. Um, <laughs> when When we first met him, he was trying to get some of his costumes at the same convention he brought the uh, episodes into uh, my fashion show, which was timed very carefully for the <laughs> the people we already had. Well, he'd hired three models, including a cute little model uh, that was just the size of Sherry Jackson to wear the little crossover uh, jump, uh, jumpsuit. Uh, in uh, What a Little girls Made Of. Little Girls, she really
2: right. right. Liked Sherry Jackson, she too. did.
1: So hmm. these models were looking at kissing a weekend stint goodbye, and they offered to help me with the fashion show,
2: which was... starters and yeah. get people off the stage when they'd been there long enough.
1: Mm-hmm. And uh, as a result, I said yes, after Jean had talked to me about 15 minutes uh, uh, over a cup of coffee. And... Um, I liked him. I liked him a lot. I found him very attractive in a big Irish mix sort of way. Um, And, um, it you know, he had and he sent and he told us his concept. And there's something very, very compelling about someone telling you their dream. And that's what he did. And we were both very, very impressed by that.
0: You were both sci-fi and fantasy fans when you were younger. What was it for you about Star Trek that made it stand out from other sci-fi programs? You mentioned something like the Time Tunnel before.
2: It was the first time we'd seen really adult science fiction uh, dealing with with concepts that were somewhat complicated uh, on TV. And that was was amazing. It, It sort of brought to life what we'd been reading for many, many years.
1: Well, and, you know, one of the, one of the fine examples when I said there's an ugly alien, let's kill it from the movies and early TV <laughs> was the Horta in, um, in well, Star Trek, where, uh, indeed, you know, not exactly the most beautiful alien in the world, and she turned out to be a mother protecting her egg. Right. And that was, you know, I mean, that really touched us because it just, you know, tore us away from the the old concept, and we, and we were glad of it.
0: Uh, let's talk about your campaign to save Star Trek after the second season when it was rumored to be cancelled. Um, how did you get the idea to start your campaign?
2: Okay. We were on the set of The Deadly Years, and they were going to be where G, uh, Shatner has gotten his, his youth back. You know, mm. after Dr. McCoy has discovered the magic elixir, <laughs> so often did, and um, it's the part where he jumps down off the stage and then grabs his back like he's still got an alien cricket in <laughs> right. and We'd seen other episodes being filmed. Uh, Gene had advised us to whenever we were in town, so we would frequently go to the studio and watch something being filmed. Um, the atmosphere on the cast crew was totally different this time than it had been other times. Hmm. uh it was much more down he's been a very upset until then so we knew something was going on hmm. so we we asked several people around and nobody'd give us the straight answer so we did what you do on a on a TV set when you or a movie set when you want to know what that, what's going on you go over and ask craft services <laughs>
3: sure <laughs> They're
1: there, sort of the radar radar O'Reilly of a movie set and <laughs> right. They make it their business to know all of the latest.
2: So the the guy that we were talking to at Craft Services, oh, he it isn't official yet, but the words come down, the show's going to be canceled at the end of the season.
1: Now, interestingly enough, years later, we talked to an NBC, NBC executive, and he said, you couldn't possibly have known that because we hadn't issued anything yet. And I said, you know, it's the ground troops who to find out things far faster than the general's. And he didn't understand what I was saying. And said, there you go. <laughs> so we,
2: we had to leave. We lived in Oakland at the time, at the other you know, in in the northern part of the state. So we had to leave and go home. So we're driving up the Central Valley, which was a longer trip in those days than it is now. And we're talking to each other and, and
1: you No, know, about how sad that was yeah, and, you it, know. It
2: just, mm-hmm. and I made the <laughs> the mistake or the, you know, whatever, of saying to be Joe. You know, it's really sad what the change there was and that the fact that the show's going to be canceled. There ought to be something we can do about that. Now I should no better than to say that to her. I <laughs> <Because laughs> he spent the rest of the trip formulating a campaign.
1: Well, we, we had to do this out of whole cloth because, so far as we knew, no one else had done it. And so that was a little scary. We had no template, no, no map. And, uh, right. first thing I did, uh, was, um, say, well, you know, we better phone Gene and find out if he's thrown in the towel because if he has, there's no sense in, um, in doing anything, right? Mm-hmm. And right. so we got home and called Gene. And now he was a great storyteller. So you never really quite knew if all of this was true. You understand that. He said, Oh my gosh, I just walked out of a meeting where I had said if there was some way to reach the fans.
2: And he <laughs> fell in his lap, as it were.
1: So, you know, whether sure. that particular story is true or not, I don't know, but he did know by that time he needed to reach the fans and file. And we were sure. we were it. Then I went around real fast then to secretaries in corporate buildings and asked them what about a letter, made it made them, you know, throw it away or file it in the nut file, or answer mm. it themselves or put it across their boss's desk. And I got this this information, and um, then I uh, we wrote it up in a sort of a little list of do's and don'ts and why because of course all fans have to know why.
2: So we put this in that format the letter and then we type the stencil with it all on it and put it on a mimeograph machine. Uh, okay. <laughs> tell people to go look up mimeograph.
3: Right. <laughs>
1: yeah. And um uh and John hang, hang cranked the mimeograph machine for um for you know thousands about the
3: letters.
2: Yeah. Well,
1: over the over time the the first one, it was about uh, about uh, 250 yeah. 300 letters.
2: So and we said in this thing um you know, these are the these are the suggestions. We, uh, you know, and then we said, now your task is to write a letter, copy this information, and send it out to ten friends. With the information that they should each write a letter, and copy okay. this information and send it out to ten of their friends.
1: Now, after the campaign, the Washington Post phoned, and I answered the phone, and they asked how the campaign had. Been made to spread so wide. And I told them the power of 10, right? Sure. (laughs) And the person doing the interviewing said, Well, that can't be right. It's too simple. And I said, (laughs) Maybe right, and hung up. And they said, So in the house, house, they said, You just hung up on the Washington Post. I said, Well, he just called me a liar. (laughs) Hold (laughs) on. So anyway, that, but it it, it does work. And of course, with the computer now, I have to say you can do a power of 100.
0: Oh, sure.
2: Anyway, we um we had a somewhat of a mailing list ourselves and that's what we first used. And then mm-hmm. we asked the convention where uh in the convention world well where Gene had shown the episode for their mailing list and they gave it to us.
1: That would never happen today. Yes.
2: And right. we asked a, a book dealer that we knew who did a lot of mail order stuff for his list and he was a wonderful guy. He sent it to us without any trouble. So we were gathering lists of various people.
3: Uh,
2: one of the people we contacted was in, was in Mensa. He put it in the Mensa newsletter. Okay. <laughs> Another guy worked for IBM, and he put it in their newsletter.
1: <laughs> so, you know, we, and, and, and the thing was, was, I said, you know, if you're paying bills, in those days you get it by mail, um, put one of these flyers in in the, in the mail. With, with, sure. And believe it or not, we got you know back uh, answers, and so we we really um, just we had weekends where fans would come over to the house. We'd have fifteen or twenty fans in the house, and they were you know um, addressing envelopes, and um, and we had a typewriter. There was no no computer, and um,
2: collating uh, sheets of paper because there were about three sheets that went into this thing.
1: And folding, we used up three little folding machines and decided, off, never mind, do it by hand. And then, then they had just introduced the brand new thing, zip codes.
2: So I had to right. go down to the post office and learn how to, how to do things, certain things by zip.
1: And you see, this is why we, uh, I've been so disturbed all these years by John not getting credit. Because you can see that we were running in harness. There was no, you know, my doing anything special or something. And so. I say
2: that part of that was, was Jim and Vlad. <laughs> but, yes. uh, Another part of it, probably equal part, is you've got two names here John, every Tom, Dick, and Harry's name is John, or Big <laughs> Joe. Totally, you know, so they get, yeah, they right. lit on that.
1: Well, and, yeah, um, <laughs> and they didn't want to talk to a middle management. Person, which was John was at the time, um, they found it, of course, women's web, more interesting to talk to the little housewife who spoke up. And it, uh, you know, I greeted my back teeth on that one, I'll tell you. So, uh, uh, <laughs> the, um, and it, it, this grew, and over the years, it became just the lady who staged Star Trek, and that isn't true.
0: Sure. Well, we're here to set the record straight. Okay?
1: Absolutely. Well, John had, had to <laughs> learn this cockamamie um, uh, zip, zip code thing, and for bulk mail, which is the only <laughs> way you could afford to mail it out, you had to bundle right. packages that went out to the zip, mail, the, you know, zip code thing, and if you didn't, all of your stuff sat under a postal sort uh, and sorting, sorting yeah. machine until you they did, got around to doing you it.
2: Sorted it and, they wouldn't go anywhere. and then you had to find out how to bundle it yeah. to go to whatever, <laughs> right. uh, you know, the post office that would distribute it to that zip code or that set of zip Right. Um, it was pretty arcane,
0: but I caught on to it. And, it would all be emailed today. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly, yes. And, and that's, you know, we, um, uh, about uh, 12 or 13 years ago, we got a phone call from a friend at JPL and uh, Jet Propulsion Lab, and he said, we're, we're in danger of having the Luddites cancel the Pluto program. And we've worked on this for a decade, and you know, more. Or, or more. And if we miss this window, yeah, yeah it's a hundred. I know, 288 years before we'll have Pluto this close to us again. And could you help? Well, uh, I do know that one, one person in the, in the, uh, uh, at JPL or, or somewhere uh, is credited for getting all of this uh, done. But the fans can pat themselves on the back because, as a matter of fact, I, <laughs> I love this after working for weeks to get a one mailing out in nineteen sixty seven. Seven. No. Um now I did one letter, called up all the Star Trek people I knew and all the fan clubs and all of this and hit one button and contacted in that instance almost a thousand people. Or more. More. And it was one of these woohoo <laughs>
2: <laughs> no zip works. codes now. <laughs> um, there were enough letters into uh, the powers that be that New Horizons was
1: that, so. So, right. Yeah, I, I think that's so cool, and I think that Star Trek fans can be very proud of themselves there.
0: They should be, yeah. You and John were part of the movement to have the first space shuttle named uh, Enterprise as well. Was that a similar process to the Star Trek campaign? It
1: was. Um, in, in, Same thing. But it wasn't us that started it. Um, a couple of guys Back in um, in the Washington area, started it, and now they asked us how to run a campaign, and we sent them all the information. We've always shared that information, and Mm -hmm. they chose to ignore it. And then they found you, and all of a sudden, they said, um, "You know, will you take this over?" And by the way, we've already sent you all the information. Uh, (laughs) You know, like, (laughs) and so we we.
2: You know. Using the same process that we done with mm-hmm. uh, with the Space Star Trek campaign, we did the the let's mm-hmm. name the first first space shuttle Enterprise. We had no idea right. that it was a, a test vehicle and wasn't going into space.
3: Well, yeah.
1: But on yeah. the other hand, that was that was uh, okay too because all of the enterprises um, from the wooden ships on on up. Have all had, in, in some way or another, been had experimentation, uh,
2: experience, you know. uh, yeah, uh, experimental vessels and first prototypes, right? Uh, the so end, that uh, aircraft part. carrier enterprise that was, uh, in World War II was the first purpose building, uh, 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 carrier. Since we didn't know who to address these things to in, in NASA, we just asked everybody to send letters to President Ford. And they were going to name it Constitution. The night before the roll or the day before the rollout, uh, Ford said to the the uh, NASA people, you know, I rather fancy the name Enterprise for this first shuttle. <laughs> so it, it, the shuttle's at Edward. It has Constitution on it. So they they hurriedly painted that out and painted in Enterprise. And when they rolled her out the next
1: morning, the paint was
2: still wet on Enterprise.
3: Okay.
1: <laughs> yeah. Now, poor John couldn't go to the rollout because he was working, and at the oh. time he couldn't get he couldn't get time off. And and that was you know unfortunate. He should have just called in step really. So,
3: right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So
1: I went out and and with uh, with uh, Jared Cornell and Larry Niven, and uh, they 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 didn't quite know what to do with me. Uh, you know, I'm at the reception. Everybody's kind of wandering around. Now some of the guys would come and flip over their coat lapel, which had had um, secret trekkie or closet trekkie on, on a button under their lapel. Okay. Um, <laughs> you know, uh, nobody had anything Star Trek out out in the open, and. Um, right. So, when we were going to the rollout, nobody knew what to do with me. I wasn't a VIP in their eyes. And, you know, where would they put me? And so um, one of the little secretaries came up to me and she said, Would you like a press pass? Cool. So,
2: (laughs) and then. (laughs) One of the press guys who was standing nearby said, Oh, yeah, take one. He said, We get lots more handouts and more food and booze than the (laughs) VIPs do.
1: And it turned out that was true. So, and you know, and and I had a grand time. The 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 uh, other uh, um, uh, journalists uh, took me under their wing, and and it was just you know, uh, I, and and then they rolled this this incredible machine out from behind a, a hangar, and um, the VIPs were sitting over across the way from it, and I was standing under the wing vein. Um, as we rolled it out. And we, I believe we that the press was that close. Wow. It's so
0: cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the the fan campaign to bring back um, canceled shows is now, it's a common occurrence in these days. <laughs> and of course, social media makes it a lot easier. But why do you think it worked at the time? I mean, you guys made, you worked hard to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and many people responded as well. But why do you think that NBC listened?
2: Well, we got enough letters into NBC. Sure. You know, and their idea is, you know, the common belief is that each letter represents a thousand people or some, some number they pull out of the air. Mm. So, uh, it, it, I think, frightened them a little.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
1: and they, had to hire, they had to hire extra people to open all the envelopes because we told them, <laughs> we told fans, to mail it in business size envelopes. And they, they, in DC didn't want to take any chances that one of those envelopes might, might contain business information. And so they hired mm-hmm. extra people to open all the envelopes. Only, of course, only, of course, to find Star Trek. <laughs> <You all see. laughs> right. Which, you know, is right. But, uh, yeah. And then, um, many years after that, again, um, over at Paramount, John and I met an NBC person. And he says very snarkily, um, well, we kn- we didn't get more than ten thousand letters, and I said, "Wow, you mean that we changed history with only ten thousand letters?" Right. We must be more powerful <laughs> than <unlikely>. we thought.
0: <laughs> well, right. That was
1: not what he wanted to hear.
0: Uh, it's been said before that had the two of you not led a campaign like this, there might not have been a Trek at all in the modern day. Do you think that's true?
2: Uh, yes. Yeah. If a show in those days, a show had to have at least three seasons to go into the yeah. vacation when it when it was done. Uh, if it had only two seasons, it would have been just just in the can shell.
1: And right mm. for the rest of of time, that was all that would have happened. You would have never heard of Star Trek again. And here's the thing. Right. I mean, you, you know, you can check on things like this. A delightful little little TV show called My World and Welcome to It uh, was, uh, w- by the way, with William Windham, uh was um, uh, once one about season. one and a half season show, and and it was uh, not renewed, and it was taken off the air, and you've never seen it. Yeah. And and a funny little uh, a science fiction story called Cork. Well, something mm. about about uh, intergalactic garbage men or something, uh, utterly civil <laughs> and loads of fun and send-ups. I mean, there was a Darth Vader kind of character in in it that was, you know, had wasn't too sure just whether it was a villain or not. Half a season, and,
2: and yeah, cancel because they didn't understand it. They didn't get the whole
1: yeah thing, and they really didn't understand science fiction either. And then, of course, <laughs> they were always trying to get rid of Star Trek because Gene was a loose cannon. I mean, he was admittedly a loose cannon, and you know, sure. he said he well, okay, he said things like, "Well, there's 430 people, you know, on the original enterprise, and only only a, a, a quarter of them are women, but that's enough women to take care of that many men." And you know, <laughs> well, I mean, NBC went straight up and turned left. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah,
1: and you never know if he was sincere or not. Sometimes because. If
2: you if you knew what to look for, you could see the twinkle in his eye.
1: Really? <laughs> okay, <laughs> all
0: right.
2: <laughs> starting to form. So we could pretty much tell when he was getting in that, but, yeah. but sure, the suit sure. never could.
1: And because of that, it made them very, very nervous. Of course, you know, which I think was Jean's idea, you know, just keep them on their toes, and then they never know what to expect.
0: What do you think of, like, the uh, television ratings systems? Because uh, NBC clearly would argue that the ratings weren't good for Star Trek. It needed to be canceled. But then, of course, going into syndication, it explodes. It leads to a, a top-grossing motion picture. Like, clearly, there was interest there that they didn't understand.
3: Yeah,
1: exactly. Well, the it...
2: ratings, frankly, the Nielsen ratings were rigged. Uh, hmm. we, we, we had a, a fan friend of ours actually somehow got to be a Nielsen family. And okay. uh they started getting out supposedly uh, nobody knew anybody else who was Nielsen family. There shortly after they were they got the, the thing and they boxed a box to record report a, yeah, what they the were TV set, yeah. And uh, they mm-hmm. started getting uh, newsletters from the Nielsen families.
1: Especially especially the, the Southern Baptist Church group. And okay. they began telling these, these the this science fiction couple what shows to watch and what shows not to watch.
3: Hmm. Yeah.
2: So
1: and uh, so you know you know, you know the Nielsen's will.
2: Our friends would tune right. into anything with a science fiction or fantasy theme that was on T V. Even if they weren't going to watch it and just leave the show, for that
1: on. And in a, <laughs> okay. in a short time, they came and took no, away the box. Nielsen- <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> so, but but yeah, we we actually have real proof that um, well, we don't anymore. He's gone, but um, that that the Nielsen ratings were rigged. The thing is, because they were rigged, you could claim just about anything. How would the rest of us know? Right now, in today's atmosphere. With,
3: lot with,
1: with people, you know, going into investigative type of things, they might have been able to find out. But back in the 60s and 70s no
2: they couldn't have found out well then sure. the fake news that's going on these days you
0: know yeah that's- <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> well that's exciting too. and there's all there, there's also things like like Netflix is a streaming service yeah. that there's a lot of shows on mm-hmm. but they don't release any of their financial or their streaming data so they've recently canceled a couple popular shows and their excuse was it wasn't economical. They they couldn't justify producing the show because not enough people were watching it. But we don't know if that's really true. Or no, not. and
1: you, yeah. and you never will really unless you uh, find somebody right. who works in the business. So more more court speak, <laughs> mm-hmm. really. And <laughs> you know this is the this is the annoying thing is is in in just about the entire entertainment industry, but especially television. Whether it's it's you know the the streaming or, or just regular stuff they can do just about anything they wish and claim just about anything they wish, and we have mm-hmm. no way of proving it. Not if we yeah. find somebody who works inside that business who's willing to risk a job.
0: Let's talk about movies. Um yeah. Joe, you had an opportunity to be an extra in Star Trek The Motion Picture. Can yeah. you tell me about that? Well,
1: John could John have too, except again, the you know, stupid job. But um, sure. I, um, uh, <laughs> they had already made all the uniforms. And so all of the uniforms for women were made for 5'5 five five to 5'8. Five okay. Yes, well, I'm five three, And um, so <laughs> I'm the only person there who's uniform bad. But um, that's okay because I was actually uh, pretty far back in the crowd. The nice little lady in the two-piece tan suit in front, short with short hair, isn't mm. me? That is not thats missus Robert Wilde.
0: Oh, okay, sure, the director, sure.
1: But I just kind of let myself be put back because I realized that all of these professional extras really needed FaceTime. I
0: didn't. (laughs) Yeah, right.
1: (laughs) I was just here for the fun of it, and I was enjoying myself thoroughly, and, you know, that's all we really needed. That whole
2: whole rec deck scene came about because Robert Wise said to Gene, you know, you keep saying that there's X number of people on this set, we never see them, mm-hmm. <clears throat> which, of course, in the TV world, they didn't have the, the budget to be able to <laughs> have that many people.
0: Right, yeah, the 430 men and women under my command, <laughs> yeah. And
2: so um, he said, let's put a scene in the film where um, we do see, you know, have this this huge crowd of, of crew members on, on this wreck uh, deck or uh, where Shatner addresses them and tells them about the fellow that's going to eat them, <laughs> and uh, right. uh, so that's what they did. And so they they in those days there was the Screen Actors Guild and the Screen Extras Guild. They're, they're fine mm-hmm. now, but the separate guilds in those days. So Gene went to the Screen Extras Guild and said, uh, "We're going to need about X number of people. I'm willing to to put half of them." From the extras guild, which is a big, big thing for them, I'll tell you. But I'm going to go on the street for the rest. Of them. <laughs> they, since he was going to hire half of the amount of people, that that was more than was usually on a on a movie set. So they agreed, and uh, so then we get a call from uh, one of the one of the StarCraft office secretaries who said. Uh, how would you like to be in the new Star Trek movie? Oh,
1: do you know anyone? That was yeah, it. Do you, that you know was. anyone who would like to be in the new Star Trek movie? <laughs> Is this a trick question? <laughs> right. <laughs> and we were supposed to, several fans were asked to do this, and we were, we were supposed to not show anybody from out of state because Gene didn't want them flying in, being in, mm. you know, for casting and not get a part. And he didn't want right. that disappointment. Well, you know how fast the news reached the East Coast.
2: And, and overseas. And,
1: and people came in from <laughs> everywhere. And they didn't <laughs> understand because the letter that went out, what told people, you have, you know, only, we only have like 130 people, I think it was, to cast. There's no way everybody's going to get in here, you see. And right. so we... um um. Uh, so the the but everybody came in from everywhere.
2: So they, uh, the casting call was held on the lot. Uh, there was a grandstand set up so that they could assemble everybody there. And uh, was they they sent Gene out somewhere. <laughs> they wouldn't <laughs> let him be there for the casting call. <laughs> and Robert well, Wine, he was
1: very kind to of fans and he would have said, "I'm sorry. I know this person is." you know, extremely fat, but, uh, you know, they've been such good fans, uh, you know, cast them somewhere. So, yeah, they didn't need that. So,
2: so the uh, uh, director and uh, makeup guy and, and somebody else
3: yeah.
2: went down the line. They, they called X number of people down off the stand, so like a whole row. And they'd, they'd walk down the line and say, uh, yes, yes, yeah, no, 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 yes, yes. No, now ordinarily for a casting call like that, the people who were not chosen would go away. <laughs> the fans went back up into the stands, <laughs> and they couldn't figure <laughs> that out. They, you know, all the fans wanted to see if their friends were chosen
1: <laughs> <laughs> cheer them on. You know, so, so it was an interesting night for, for the for the casting people because they had no clue what all was going on. And, and, you know, those of us who did get in, uh, I mean,
2: well, my, Angel was yeah. asked, I mean, it was, it was given she was going to be in it. Sure.
1: And so, and John would have too, but he couldn't tell. And the thing, okay, the uniform was made out of ski pat material, the whole unit okay. one, which meant that if you, you felt that if you bent over a little bit, you'd snap, you know, uh, yeah. shut and, the, the zippers were down the back, and at one point, David Gerald, who was also in, in the movie, said, uh, "I have to go potty. Will somebody come and unzip me?" And about three girls volunteered, and I said, "Oh, no, not really." <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, the you know it, it, the, the uniforms, frankly, were uncomfortable. They the yeah. shoes were built into the uniform, and again, they were built for. Somebody much taller than me and much bigger right. feet. Uh, and uh, it just, yeah. And then, of course, they were white and light gray and light tan. And so, of course, you know, they served us lunch over on another stage. But uh, that's because they didn't want to let us out of their sight to wander around and find the cafeteria. So, um, uh, guess what they served us? What? Bucket chicken. <laughs> uh, okay. Oh, <laughs> And it was one of these. So we stood over trash cans, beating each. Right. And it was, it was just, it was insane. So, <laughs> and, and, um, uh, Grace Lee Whitney and, uh, Jimmy Dewan and Michelle and Walter all came over to have of lunch George. with us. Oh yeah. Of course. Uh, always George. Uh, uh, and came over and had lunch with us and sure. kind of got up and, you know, made the rounds and talked to a lot of fans and, that was very thrilling. That's great. It was going to be yeah. two days worth of shooting, but at the end of the toward the end of the day, uh Mr. Wise said, Well, you know, uh, we set aside two days because of course, you know, half the people here are amateurs, but they are doing so well that we can go on and finish it Monday. And um so our day started when we got up to the studio at four AM and it ended at twelve thirty that night. And my feet hurt clear up to my half ring.
3: Sure. <laughs>
1: so, half the people there headed over across the street uh, uh, for, for um, margaritas. And, uh, you know, John definitely sure. picked me up and <clears> took <throat> <put> my entire <laughs> little body home. But, um, right. it, you know, and but it was fun. It was a thrill. It's not something I probably want to do again. But um, right. certainly if I was off with it, you know, I always hope that, that, you know, Jean did a few guest things on the episodes and I always hoped that I could do, you know, something, you know, something like a little bag lady walking down the promenade. Uh, you know, right, right, sure. You know. Well, I'm not, I'm not exactly <laughs> prepossessing, you know, I'm, 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 I'm five two because I'm shrinking and, um, and freckles and a little dumpy. And, you know, so I'm, I'm good with that. And, you know, I, I, sure. I know I'm not a glamour girl. It's like, it's like my daughter said about, uh, about, uh, uh seeing the, uh, the first uh, um, Tolkien movie was everybody wanted to be an elf, right? Tall, graceful, gorgeous, and right. so did she. Until she until one of the um, uh, hobbits said, "Well, what about our ovens? What about you? Know, and what about <laughs> some breakfast?" And she said, "Ah, I'm a hobbit. <laughs> 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 We're realists around here." <laughs> sure.
0: <laughs> I should, I should ask, uh, do the two of you have a favorite Trek film or, for that matter, a favorite episode of Star Trek? Okay.
1: My
2: favorite of the films is Star Trek IV because of the interactions between the characters. It's a very light film in many ways. Uh, right. But it was, there was a lot of humor in it, and it, without diminishing the drama at all, it was really beautifully done. I know it's got plot holes in it so uh, you know, the size of the Grand can't get Well it's kind of <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah.
2: <laughs> that is my favorite of the Star Trek film.
1: I have to agree with John. Okay. I, I, I really enjoy that and we will stop and watch that. Um uh, uh well, we have all those films now, but but you know, it, when it came up on television we'd stop and watch it in spite of commercials. And um uh, well yeah, sure. as as far as an episode is concerned, I think John's is uh, is next generation. Yeah.
2: yeah, the next generation, uh, the inner light. It's a two-parter. Oh, sure. And I think it is one of the more beautiful television episodes ever filmed. Okay. A lot of heart to
0: it. B.J., what about what about you?
1: Uh, oh, I, you know, I don't know if I really have a favorite. I guess trouble with tribbles because I like to laugh. <laughs> and, sure. Um, <laughs> and the idea of of, of an ecologically um, damaging. Uh, incident, but with something that's cute and fuzzy and purrs, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you can't even find the right end of it, uh, is, uh, is, you know, <laughs> pretty funny. And um, uh, that was uh, that was the start of our friendship with David Gerald uh, because... Uh, <laughs> okay,
2: we and, met David <laughs> at the, the World Science Fiction Convention in New York in
0: 1967,
2: okay. and he said, your name is Trimble? Oh my gosh, I think I've caused you a
3: world of hurt. <laughs>
1: <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> but but David um and and our kids just adore him, uh you know, because he's such a crazy person. When he got his first ice cream um uh Maybe. maker uh, of course typical male, he didn't read the instructions. I mean, those are for people who aren't incredible and you know and he uh, the first the first ice cream he made was so solemn that he had to leave it out in the sun for several they days.
2: Get the out. <laughs> okay.
1: On <laughs> the second one with syrup, and finally he came up, he realized, well I need something to put in there that'll hold the ice cream together. So he made this amazing mixture um and and very tasty that he called kitty litter crunch. <laughs> um, it was it was granola and nuts and chocolate chips and coconut in a creamy vanilla sort I of caramelly, was creamy yeah. vanilla and, and coconut, and, yeah. and it it was you know he when you dish it up yeah it sort of looked like that and, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, and but I think he's one of the only people in the world that would come up with kitty litter French ice cream.
0: That sounds delicious. It is. Yeah, it, was, it was great.
1: <laughs> and, yeah, he he also would play board games with the kids, and when when he was lucid, but he. You know, something would happen that would, would yeah, cause the cause the board to get all oh, unadjusted, and we'd and have to start over.
0: <laughs> I've heard from some uh, author friends I know that he is a wonderful guy, and I've I've uh, reached out, I've tried to get him on my show, mm-hmm. and he he was talking to an author friend of mine, and he said um, that he might be able to do it, but he wanted to remind me that he has written things other than tribbles.
1: Yes, yeah, and, and in fact, he has, and and they are excellent.
0: Um, and yes.
1: No, and also he does things like at conventions. Um, uh, he has a little uh, little bank out in front of them of for autographs, and he will he will he says, "I'm charging for autographs." And of course, that's not a big surprise. What he wants you to do is put whatever you can afford into the, the little bank because that goes back to L.A. to Angel Food, which is oh. is a a a group that feeds. Um, HIV, uh, victims and, and their pets. Okay. Many, many people that's will great. not adopt a, a pet that has belonged to somebody with HIV.
2: Hmm. Like he's just um
1: <laughs> I mean, like, hello? Uh, a cough is more, ca- more catching than that, and your dog, you know. Right. But anyway, you know. So, um, yeah. Uh, and I, and that's a, that is such a worthwhile sort of thing. Uh, so John and I picked it up, but we, we, uh, we, uh, charged. Uh, to um, give money to um, uh, no kill shelters, we're we're all we okay.
0: pet lovers, so you know. Uh, people should know if they don't already that you published the first reference books for Star Trek, the Star Trek Concordance, which was published by Ballantine Books, but you initially published it yourself, isn't that right? <laughs>
1: yes, in fact, we we ran it off again on the um, on the interest.
0: Of... Yeah, you had a mimeograph. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well, no, I actually, it was a The first ones we took down
1: to a, a person who did
2: at an Offset printing business, and printed by them. And yeah, then, that's right. partway through the whole thing, we acquired an Offset press ourselves for publishing okay. a newsletter for another organization we belonged to. And so we ran off subsequent copies ourselves.
1: But on the, on right. the other hand, of course, we had all these many pages to uh, to collate. So if you bought a concordance and came over to our house to pick it up, you had to collate your own copy. <laughs> okay, all right. That's yeah. fair. <laughs>
2: you know several several fans that we're friends with now, who, who indeed collated their Star Trek and card.
1: <laughs> sure. But, you know, that, but uh, yeah, and then uh, Valentine picked it up, and um, and then it was and then it went on to Citadel Press, uh, mm. uh, which uh, promptly went bankrupt about uh, about a year after it came out and uh, we were informed that in the warehouse were about um, uh, 6000 copies of the book and if we could come up with the price for them uh, they'd ship them to us something something of a terrifying threat uh, but we we couldn't <laughs> we couldn't get up the money that we had paid for had it so well
0: I can't imagine the effort that must have gone into compiling all the data to go in the into the book did you use videotapes or audio tapes to review the shows both, for the information both.
1: and and eventually scripts um, and we, oh, we, sure. we lucked into something kind of wonderful. Um, I, I was actually in um, in publicity department because we knew somebody there, and I I read everything. And the, there was a Star Trek script there, and I opened it, and it, it and it looked very strange. And I said, "What in the world is this?" And he, he said, "Oh, it's a dialogue script. We, it, mm-hmm. The person goes through." And listens for every sound, you know, like the, the bang of a door or a crash or something and somebody whistling and then what everybody says exactly as they're saying it on the screen, not following the script. Sometimes they deviate a little from that. And that allows right. us to cut the, uh, the episode without it being too obvious and want to go okay. out to ships and uh, to um, uh, various places where, um, where, where you know um, cut versions are are more feasible, and I said, "Oh, that's mm-hmm. great!" And he said, <clears throat> "I'm throwing these scripts out." And um, I had, "Would you like me to throw them in the directions?" <laughs> yes. So we took all the boxes out and loaded them in, in my car.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: we had dialogue scripts for all of all 39 episodes. When she when 79. 79,
1: However many <laughs> there were. Oh right! <laughs> oh, well, I, I thought I was the one who couldn't copy, well, yeah. and and uh, I slept something. Uh, so when we
2: were doing the concordance, she could, you know, we we could watch the episode, but she could also sit down and and go using the dialogue scripts, record what we actually said.
1: Yeah, which was a big help because uh, Leonard Nimoy, for instance, could never remember the name of an alien. Future. And, you know, okay. there, the, I've forgotten which it is, but the, 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 uh, in, there, there's a, there was a Gumato or a Mugato, I've forgotten which, anyway, he changed it over to the other other one. And, right. Things like that, you had to catch that because if the other yeah. word wasn't said, I, you know, couldn't put it in the book. Now, all of this, they right. giving credit where credit is due when, um, another, um, Star Trek, No, we were all brand new Star Trek fans, mostly. Started mm-hmm. keeping uh, notes <clears throat> on 3 by 5 cards of all the things she liked about Star Trek. And pretty soon, that got to be a pretty big pile. And I said, you know, we ought to um, uh, put this together and make a fan magazine out of it, because I think others would like it. Well, <clears throat> about that time, uh, she discovered religion and men at the same time lost interest and handed me all the notes and said, Well, there you go and I had meanwhile been adding to her notes and so it was just kind of an easy step to continue. And um uh I just recently found her again. She's she's been missing in my life for about uh, twenty five years and we had quite a talk about it and um uh, uh, she said no, she said I long ago um uh gave up any any calling to the to the book so Mm-hmm.
0: There we are. I have a cop. I have a copy of the seventy-seven um, version, mm-hmm. uh, and it's one of my prized possessions. I love that it has a wheel built into the cover oh, that lets you select I, the episode I and the thought info. That
1: was a great idea.
0: Yeah, was that the balancing idea? That was,
1: that was it. Yeah, well, very. Their art department knew what to do. They, that, you know, and and they had. See, I collected from fans. That's all fan art. Um, you know, I wanted large pictures of like like the major characters and so on. But then, small pictures to go with the entries, like a lot of right. encyclopedias had those kind of pictures, you know. And Valentine put it together correctly. Citadel, which had a bunch of idiots in the art department, they wouldn't let me. They wouldn't <laughs> let me put it together. I've been a, been a um, graphics artist for many years, and no, didn't trust me. So
3: mm-hmm.
1: when I got it, besides the terrible cover, I got you know they would hey, they had used. The full page stuff for little tiny entries and they'd use little tiny entries for full page pictures and everything. It was one of these, no! But yeah, you know, <laughs> this, this is what happens to you, uh, with books, you know. Yeah, we knew Judy Lynn uh,
2: Benjamin, who was, uh, later Judy Lynn Adele Ray, who was the editor at Valentine at the time. So, uh, we were able to talk with her and give her the ideas that we wanted and Jo was able to put, you know,
1: send the stuff through and tell them where they wanted wanted to go. They didn't get everything right, but they got most of it. You know, okay. most of
0: it is the best an author can expect. I
1: mean, you know. I suppose. You know, it, it, but I, C. Clark said, uh, you know, what you do is you take the money and you walk away.
0: You wrote another book uh, on the Good Ship Enterprise. Yeah. Can you tell me about that?
1: Well, it, it was an utterly silly book. It, it was a humorous thing of telling some uh, anecdotes. And I understand these anecdotes are fairly old now. But um, and uh, you know just various things that happened to uh, us and and some of the actors and uh, just some fun stories um, and I I'd, I'd love to update it because having met um, almost all of the people in all of the um, series so far um, right. and there are stories there's some fun stories I don't didn't tell any sure. bad stories um, because uh, even though they happened, it, nobody needs to know. Uh, th- these are things that, that happen to these people uh, under duress, under stress, uh, hard work, late hours. Uh, nobody needs to spread those around. Um,
0: right, as far well as right. I'm
1: concerned, that's just gossip. And you know, I, <laughs> yeah. I was just recently asked why I took some Star Trek fans to task on the internet uh, at, on one thing because they had been acting the mean. They and and you know, and I said I said you know we should be above that. Star Trek ideals, it is, is, you know, doesn't include gossiping and, and, and saying bad things about people. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, all of us can say bad things about people. If we, if we wanted to out loud, Mm -hmm. God knows plenty of people do on the internet, but I don't listen to it and I don't have to put up with it. And if I don't speak up then, they don't know why I have left the scene, right? Mm-hmm. And so many people don't like confrontation, but and I don't either, but there are times when both John and I feel that we need to speak up about things.
2: This is something up with which we do not need to put.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, yeah. So that, that's about it for our attitudes and things like that.
0: Sure. Speaking of the Internet, uh, and also just speaking of uh, things to come for Star Trek, uh, Star Trek Discovery is planned to come out fairly soon, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed. And a lot of people on the Internet have had uh, issues, or supposedly some people on the Internet have issues with the fact that they feel like, boy, I'm trying to elucidate their argument and I don't really understand it, uh, like that white men aren't represented enough, I guess, in the show? They don't like the diversity (laughs) in the show?
2: They don't understand Edic infinite, diversity in infinite combinations come on give me a yes you know, and
0: as you know yes
1: they, it's like it's like a critic i swear to you, this really happened a critic of the wonder woman movie oh. said well it's all feminists yeah. <laughs> have you ever read the comic books kiddo i mean I'm, yeah right you know there just hasn't been enough men represented in movies lately i'm thinking Oh right. Really? Let's go back over some of the titles quickly. What are you talking about? You know? Uh people were very unkind to um Carrie Fisher, uh in, in, in the last Star Wars movie that she appeared, not the one that, you know, CGI, either, but uh um and you know, because she was looking older. Hello? <laughs> she is older. Right. I'm older. Uh, you know, Harrison Ford is older.
0: Look at Harrison Ford. Right, like, yeah. I mean,
1: you know, he looks like a, a desert ravine, and and nobody says anything about him. <laughs> yeah. it's and always, right,
2: it's like Barbara Streisand said one time. She when she was directing a film, I don't remember which one it was now. Um, the comments on on you know were that she was, that when somebody interviewed her, she seemed awfully bitchy. Well, okay, so a woman if she expresses some strong opinion is bitchy. A guy, if he expresses strong opinions, is forthright and, you know, manly and all that kind of stuff.
1: (laughs) When people say and do things like this, it shows their ignorance. Yeah. It isn't even, I mean, it is intolerance, but I mean, it's more ignorance than anything else. And I I really, I really would like to think, maybe I'm wrong, I'd like to think that Star Trek fans, the people I, John and I have known for all of these years, are better than that. Are not as... And for the most part, they are. Yeah. I will say this. We never got a dime from Paramount or from Gene Roddenberry for running the campaign. I don't care what a couple of books say. But our wealth, frankly, has been the fact. We have met an amazing number of fans from all over the world. Sometimes we were in the in the spot. Sometimes they were over here. In Japan, had I mean, had a girl walk up to us and say, Hope make a spot signal," and then say, "Star Trek." <laughs> you
2: know, and <laughs> we we traveled around around Japan the one time we were able to visit there with about anywhere from thirty to fifty Star Trek fans, depending on on their schedule. Um mm-hmm. And it was delightful. Uh, they were just—they were utterly charming. They would—we uh, had uh, a fan, you know, uh, one of the Japanese fans pay our way to, through to a subway that we were going to travel on, mm. and we said, uh, you know, we said to one of the one of the other fans, "Well, um, what's going on? They, they're." They're paying this, and, and then we got treated to our meals and stuff. And we said, you know, had one of them explained to us, he said, well, you see, Mr. and Mrs. Trimble.
1: we <laughs> all the time.
2: Um, the people, um, it, it's what they can afford. The students and the others mm. will pay the subway because it doesn't cost much. Those of us mm. who have higher paying jobs and that sort of thing, we like to treat you to things. I mean it was wonderful
1: but it's, um, and we ran across this everywhere. met a whole bunch of of just lovely students in Prague and um, they um, um, they all were had pooled all their money to take us to a fancy dinner
3: and
1: we, um, oh, wow. um do you Do you have like beer pubs around? And they went, uh, yeah, well, but you know, we <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, let's go to the beer pub. I mean, come on, dang. <laughs> <laughs>
2: yeah. And these are not places we travel to um, our own way. We have been guests at at conventions in various places in the world. We've been to mm-hmm. to England and Ireland. Well, England several times, Ireland once. Um We've been to Germany several times, uh, the Czech Republic twice, uh, to uh, New
1: Zealand, Australia. All all invitations. That this has fallen off considerably because we're considered, uh, you know, the old farts who don't know anything except the original series. You know, oh yeah, oh yeah, (laughs) and uh, and it has been uh, 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 discussed by some people that, you know, you don't really need to invite the Trimbles because they can drop dead at your convention. And it's like, uh, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. But, you know, we, uh, so, yeah you know,
2: but we've been lucky to have been guests at conventions all over the world. We've met fans from all over the world as a result of it. And uh, it's It it hasn't given us any money, but it's
1: certainly enriched our lives. And and all of them have been very very kind to our oldest daughter, who is mentally handicapped. Uh, She's fifty two now, and she is about an eight year old intelligence, which means she can talk to you for about half an hour before you catch on. And uh, (laughs) and she's an avid Star Trek fan. And she looked at George. We came out of um, Wrath of Khan, and. She looked at George. Now George lives down, you know, at that time two blocks down the street. And um hmm. she she had just seen the movie and she's looking at him and all of a sudden when he's in the morning she says, You're him and she had made this <laughs> connection finally that, that George and Mr. Google. That yes, that, that, and, and 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 of course everybody cracked <laughs> both. Well,
2: we, we were at a screen <laughs> at Paramount that they had set up for uh, Ricardo Montalban, because his family was up from Mexico and he wanted to show them the picture. So right. <laughs> Catherine, had, you know, fans were fans
1: were invited to fill in the yeah. spaces.
2: So we we came out of the of the theater and we're all kind of milling around out in front. And uh, Ricardo Montalban came out with his family and he was standing talking to people. And and, he uh, was
1: standing there looking gorgeous.
2: Yeah. And (laughs) we said to Catherine, do you know who that? She already made the George connection. So we thought, okay, we'll try that. You know who that is, Catherine? She looks over at Ricardo Long. Now, here is this urbane, (laughs) handsome man. And she's trying to, we're trying to see if she'd make a connection with that madman he just saw on the screen. And right. <laughs> she stands there for a while, and she looks at him. She, said, I know him. I said, would you like to meet him? <laughs> yes. So we took her, took her over, and we said, and the we would like you to meet our our daughter, our handicapped daughter.
1: We didn't say handicapped. We didn't warn okay. him at all.
2: So he turned to her, and she said, "You're Mister Rourke, Fantasy Island." And <laughs> One of the favorite TV shows. And he looked at her. He took her hand and said, Yes, my dear, I am. I kissed her hand. <laughs> we could have put her home with a string.
1: <laughs> and then she said something that I, I, it broke everybody's heart. She said, You have made people like me feel real.
2: And that's what he said to her. My dear, you are a real person. Don't let me, anyone tell you anything different. I already watched them <laughs> a whole lot. You find them a whole lot. That's <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right. Wow. <laughs> yeah.
1: So you know, we we treasure these kind of experiences as well as the experiences we've had with with, with various fans. And and yeah. really, we look back on these things uh, that that. Have we think it in you know, without sounding soppy? Well, it does sound soppy. Um, enriched our lives with so many wonderful people. Do we have a few nernies? Yes, of course, all groups have, but I think we have less, or they just are shy about speaking up around us. I don't know, maybe they know better. Yeah. (laughs) Or maybe they're, talking, maybe they're talking about us behind our back. I don't know, you know. There's just a little thing of, you know, type your name in here and you'll find out what everybody thinks of you. And I thought, why would you do this?
3: You know, right. This
0: <laughs> Never do this. <laughs> um, I, I have to ask, uh, as as people who have attended uh, conventions for a long, long time now, how, how have you seen conventions in the world of fandoms change over the decades?
2: Well, they're they're more corporate now.
1: Yeah. A lot of them. Are, yeah. Uh, they're, uh,
2: in, in many cases, they're not conventions. They're shows. Yeah. So we came up out, out of the science fiction fandom world where conventions were groups of fans convening.
1: And and where authors came not for a speaker's fee, but because they liked fans and they started out in fandom in many cases. And, you sure. know, and so, um, it was more, uh, a lot more cozy and smaller. And today, there are right. not very many fan conventions left in, in Star Trek because they've been pretty well wiped out by the assorted corporate uh, conventions uh, around uh, the United States and around the world. There's a huge convention in uh, Germany uh, that okay. uh, has pretty well wiped out uh, all fan conventions in the area. Uh, they,
2: the oh. conventions changed from being a convenient fan being a profit making uh, venue and that's when they changed from fan run things to groups that just put on the conventions for profit. Right.
1: Now would we go to one of these? Of course. In if fact last year for yeah we were invited because we can't afford to go on our own money. Um, last year because it was the 50th we were invited to the big Star Trek uh, convention in Las Vegas.
0: Oh right in Vegas. Right?
1: Oh it's huge and it was fun because there were so many little side things like there was a huge uh, hallway that led to the various rooms and in the hallway they had put up all kinds of things manned by the fans but uh, you know like there was a whole tribble patch and you could go over there and and pick them up and play with them and and there was a fan there to prevent you from running off with them but otherwise you know and and of course pose with them and so on and uh, as simple as that there was always somebody there uh, taking advantage of you know, uh, the, all, all of these tribbles, every color you can think of and the little kids loved it they would just throw themselves down the tribbles and, and scrooch around on the floor, you know, and it was such a kick <laughs> to watch them, things like that, there, and and there was amazing programming, I will say that um, I we ended up treated
2: with, like, like uh, real celebrities at this thing. yeah, really
1: like, that hasn't
0: yeah. happened a whole lot well you you are you are a well, celebrity you no know,
1: but but it isn't you know it uh, it doesn't always a, doesn't always happen it, it you know not not that we'll be invited to any more of them because it's not the we're here anymore, and we're not i mean right. if you look at the lineup for instance um they have nearly a hundred people from the movie industry from the t v industry mm-hmm. and uh, you know and we're we're not so you know, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> well, but would we go to conventions anymore yes, of course we would love to. Um, we love to travel and, um, uh, mm-hmm. you know,
2: in, uh, uh, over the 4th of July weekend, we're, uh, special guests at the uh, Western 70. This is a regular science fiction convention. that has been going on obviously for 70 years. And, uh, right. we actually ran a couple of them in the early mm-hmm. days. Um, uh, oh, okay. so, uh, and we're are that's gonna be
1: fun because we'll be seeing a bunch of science fiction friends we haven't seen in a long time.
2: Sure, a, yeah. a local uh, Phoenix, uh, Arizona area fan fan club a sponsored us for this. So they're flying us over, they're putting us in the great. hotel, we're doing some program. I mean it's it's great and we'll meet with all the fans and you know.
1: Um, you know, we have a we have a, a little habit that, that kind of startles fans that when we go down for breakfast, uh, we uh, we join other parties. <laughs> uh, okay. if, there's, if there's a couple of them, you know, talking, and we come up and hi, um, they, they haven't ordered yet. We go, hey, you know, would you like some company? And they're going, uh, yeah, well, sure. And you know, and then we and then we get to meet them and we talk. Uh, you know, yeah, we uh, met a
2: lot of interesting people over the years that we would not ordinarily met because of that.
0: Yeah, that's yeah. Conventions are great for oh, that.
1: Oh yeah, you know. I do, I do love, I will tell you a real quick story about, about uh, 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 John Delancey. He is,
0: sure. he is
1: massively dyslexic. And the reason he can do his scripts so well is that his wife reads them to him until he's memorized them. And he memorizes okay. them so thoroughly that if somebody else blows a line and needs help, they don't look at the script supervisor, they look at John who can tell them exactly where they should be. And sure. at one convention, yes, at one convention that we were guest at, he told the audience that he was dyslexic, and heads went up everywhere. And he said, "You know, people have made this a shameful thing. Like you can't read, so there's something really, really wrong with you." And he said, "This is terrible." And you know, for all of you who are dyslexic, let's meet in the meeting room in the back of the hotel uh, restaurant. And we'll have all, all have breakfast together, and no one else can sneak in because if you are dyslexic, you're, you can read the menu, and we'll throw you out. <laughs> <laughs> Stan said that that was one of the most encouraging things they had gotten out of that convention because someone was admitting up front and out loud that they had had, that, handicap. had this handicap that that. Right. You know, the fans, family sometimes, you know, run them down for that. And just, uh, you know, who needs that? You know, just encourage yeah.
0: people. Well, there's so much more that we can talk about. And this has been really great, but I should let you guys go. I want to I wanna thank you for talking with me today.
1: Right. Well, yep. You're more than welcome. You know, invite us back if, the, if, the, if uh, your audience likes it.
0: Live long and prosper. You you live long and prosper <laughs> as well. Thank you. Thank you.
1: <laughs> <Okay>. Bye. 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 <laughs>
0: Thank you again to the Trimbles for donating their time to speak with me. It was so much fun. They probably get sick of hearing this, uh, mostly because they're practical and humble people. But they really are an integral part of the history of Trek, unquestionably. And it was an amazing experience getting to relive that history with them. And I hope you enjoyed it, too. So thanks again, B. Joe and John. Hope to talk to you again soon. Something we never got to in the interview, but that I wanted to make sure I mentioned, is that B. Joe and John are craftspeople as well, and they own a business called Ancient Earth Pigments, which produces traditional pigments for use in crafting and dyeing. They also hold workshops about dyeing with natural pigments. Uh, The pigments are natural, so they're ecological, which is a plus. Uh, They also offer tools and supplies for sale for people looking to do some dyeing. You can find all of this at ancientearthpigments.com. So go check that out. It's at ancientearthpigments.com. Remember, listeners, you can join in on the conversation and maybe have your comment read on the air. Just go to facebook.com forward slash EIST pod or find us at EIST pod on Twitter or through our social media links on enterprisingindividuals.com. You can also reach the show at EIST pod at gmail.com with feedback and suggestions or to just say hello. We're waiting to receive your transmission. And that's it for this supplemental episode of Enterprising Individuals. If you're an iTunes listener and you haven't yet, why not look us up on iTunes and make sure you're subscribed to the show. Also, write a little review. If the spirit moves you and give us a rating at the very least, we'd appreciate it. If you're not on iTunes, you can still subscribe to the show on Google Play or Stitcher or our Spreaker page or wherever you get your show from. And if you leave positive comments and ratings on those platforms as well, we would be eternally grateful. Next time on Enterprising Individuals. This is not a drill. Repeat, this is not a drill. The long, long promised arrival of New York Times best-selling author Dayton Ward finally occurs next week, just as the Enterprise arrives at Cestus Three, and finds the entire colony destroyed. What follows is a tense pursuit through space and a fight to the death with two ships and two crews at stake against one pissed-off lizard man. Get your entertainment here next week as Dayton Ward and I wrestle with and dropkick and double X handle the original series episode arena next time on Enterprising Individuals. And until then, I'm your Captain Caliban signing off and saying, live long and prosper.